20, Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, and uh, we are moving on here in our series called God's Laws for Life, Ten Commandments, and tonight we're going to look at the Eighth Commandment, which does anybody know off the top of your head without looking at it? Looking at it? What is it? Thou shalt not steal. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, very simply says, you shall not steal. Now, I'm not going to ask how many of you have stolen something as we get started here. Everyone raise your hand if you've stolen something in your life. No. Okay, so (laughs) some guys are already confessing. They're saying, yeah, yeah, I did it. Uh, how, How many of you, let me ask you this question, how many of you have been stolen from? That's what I want to find out. How many of you have you been stolen from? I mean, you, you, you have uh, been the victim of a theft. You've been mugged. You've been pickpocketed. Your house maybe has been burglarized. Your car was jacked. Um, you've been swindled maybe by some scam. Let me see your hands again. Does that fit the bill? Anybody? Yeah. So most everybody in here has been ripped off uh, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I'll never forget the time when I got my wallet stolen from me. Uh, I was uh, up in Washington State. Uh, we were staying at Kelly's house, uh, her folks' house, I should say. And uh, we went shopping, and I was going to buy a pair of jeans. And so we were in some department store, and uh, I had picked out some jeans and, and uh, went into the changing room. And uh, I was trying on these pair of jeans, and the guy over the in the next little cubby hole was uh, like really like outgoing and friendly and talkative, and it was kind of weird. Like, dude, mind your own business, dude. I'm like changing my jeans here. What are you doing over there? You know. And so it was just kind of awkward that he was like wanting to engage in conversation with me, and and uh, as we're as we're trying on these clothes, and and so I didn't think really much of it, and so I went out into the store. Uh, to have, you know, the boss's approval, right? That's what you got to do as a guy. You got to go out there and get the boss's approval. So I went out there and had Kelly look at the jeans, and, and, uh, and, and so I went back into the, uh, into the changing room, and uh, it, that guy wasn't there. And, and, and I, I started getting this strange sense, like, that dude was fishy, man. I'm going to... And so I reached down uh, to, to, to my jeans that I... My, my jeans that I owned, right? And I, and I reached into my back pocket, and my wallet was gone. And so I immediately took off out of the changing room to find this guy. And uh, sure enough, I looked around the corner, and there he was running towards the door. And so I took off running. I still had the store jeans on. I hadn't even bought them yet, you know. And and I just took off running after this guy, and uh, he busted out the front door. I busted out the front door after him, and uh, he had a car. Some of his buddies were waiting out front with with a car, the getaway car. And so he goes running out across the parking lot, jumps in the car, and I'm running out there with, you know, I didn't have my shoes on. I had these, I'm st- now I'm shoplifting these jeans at the same time. You know, I'm out there and, and I'm saying, stop, give me back my wallet. And, you know, he jumps in the car and they start taking off. And I, for a split second, I thought of every Bruce Willis movie I'd ever seen, you know, jumping on there, doing the diehard action and f- getting flown around on the, <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the parking lot. But I decided against that. And so... There they went, and I felt helpless. What could I do? I'd just been robbed, and, and I was angry. I was frustrated. 
But most of all, I felt violated. You know what that's like? You know what that feel? I mean, if you have ever had anything stolen from you, you know that feeling. Feeling violated. And, and that, that feeling occurs whenever another, another person violates our God-given right to private property. And here in the Eighth Commandment, God upholds and protects the right of an individual to own private property. And, and for that reason alone, we should respect each other's stuff. That, that's really, if you want to um, paraphrase, verse 15 is respect each other's stuff. Respect for other people's personal property is one of the most foundational laws for any society. Without this basic law, the entire world would be overrun by anarchy. And everybody would just be constantly stealing from one another and taking what they, whatever they want. And, and so like the, the, the other nine commandments, God wisely and graciously gave us the eighth commandment, do not steal, to govern and to guide and guard both us and others, and ultimately, God Himself. And like all laws, they are for the purpose of our protection. That's why we have laws. They're, they're there to protect us. And if you remember, uh, we talked about this at the beginning of our series, that when there's a couple times uh, in the book of Exodus and in Deuteronomy when, when, uh, when Moses is talking about the Ten Commandments, he just simply calls them the Ten Words. The Ten Words. Exodus 34, 28, Deuteronomy 4, 13, he just says, and, and let me remind you of the ten words. And so the first commandment is all about protecting God's glory. The word there would be love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, the second commandment, uh, protect, it's protecting God's nature. Thou should not have any other idols, right? Not, not worship an idol. The, the idea there is worship. Uh, the third commandment, which is to not use the Lord's name in vain, that's protecting God's name. The word there would be reverence. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, that's protecting God's day. The word there would be rest, that's the operative word. Uh, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, that's protecting parental authority. The, the operative word there is honor. Uh, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, is protecting the sanctity of life. And again, the operative word there is life. Last week we looked at the seventh commandment, uh, do not commit adultery. That's all about protecting marriage, and, and the, the key word there is faithfulness. And then tonight we're looking at the eighth commandment, and it's protecting others' property. And maybe the, the, the operative word would be security. This is all about security here uh, in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. And again, we said this earlier that the Ten Commandments are ten basic rules for protecting our relationship with God and our relationship with our fellow man. The first four uh, have to do with our relationship with God, and the remaining six have to do with our relationship to others. And that's why when someone asked Jesus, hey, what's the greatest commandment, what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So it's all about loving God and loving others, and he really summarized the Ten Commandments uh, in those two in those two commands to love God and to love to love others. And so, really, the point is this: if you truly love someone, you're not going to steal their stuff, right? If you truly love somebody, you're not going to take their stuff. That's good for 
those of you that have children, right, who tend to fight over stuff, fight over toys, fight over clothes, fight over this, right? Hey, if you truly love your sister, your brother, right, you're not going to steal their stuff. You're not going to take their stuff. So the Bible is very clear. It says you shall not steal. Literally, carry away. Take what doesn't belong to you is the point. In fact, when the translators of the Septuagint, uh, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was used uh, in the time of Christ, when they came to the Eighth Commandment, they used the Greek word klepto. Sound familiar? Yeah, it's the root word of kleptomaniac, which we use to refer to someone who's in a, who has an obsession with stealing. It comes from the Greek, klepto. Uh, the original Hebrew word is used uh, in other places here in, in the book of Exodus um, to describe various kinds of theft, which gives some indication of how the Israelites would have understood this commandment. For example, just look over to uh, Exodus 21. Verse 16, Exodus 21, verse 16, same word used here, but notice how it's translated. He who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he is found in his possession, shall surely be put to death. So kidnapping was a capital crime. Uh, Look at chapter 22, verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness on his account. But if the sun has risen on him, there will be blood guiltiness on his account. He shall surely make restitution. If he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If what he stole is actually found alive in his possession, whether an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man lets a field or a vineyard be grazed bare and lets his animal loose so that it grazes in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the beast of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. If a fire breaks out and spreads to thorn bushes so that stacked grain or the standing grain or the field itself is consumed, he who started the fire shall surely make restitution. If a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep for him and it is stolen from the man's house, if the thief is caught, he shall pay double. If the thief is not caught, then the owner of the house shall appear before the judges to determine whether he's laid hands on his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it's for an ox or for a donkey, for sheep, for clothing, or for any lost thing about which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before the judges. He whom the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any animal to keep for him, and it dies, or is hurt, or is driven away while no one is looking, an oath before the Lord shall be made by the two of them, that he has not laid hands on his neighbor's property, and its owner shall accept it, and he shall not, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is actually stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is all torn to pieces, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn to pieces." If a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it is injured or dies while its owner is not with it, he shall make full restitution. If its owner is with it, he shall not make restitution. If it is hired, it came for its hire. And so for the Israelites, this command, you shall not steal, was very clear, very simple. It applied to stealing someone else's family members, i.e. kidnapping, uh, other people's animals, their money, their clothes, uh, their goods, 
And, and you think about this, in, in, in those days, they had no stores, they had no banks, they had no safe deposit boxes, they had no insurance, no security systems, no surveillance cameras, no police. Everything they owned was kept in their canvas tent or mud house, which would have made it very easy for them to take each other's stuff. And that's why I think this command was so necessary and vital for the protection and preservation of their ancient society. Now, in our modern society, where we have stores and banks and safe deposit boxes and insurance and security systems and surveillance cameras and police, I would say that this command is even more important and relevant, especially because it's not as clear and as simple to understand and apply as it was back then. We live in a, in a technological age uh, where stealing has taken on a myriad of forms. And the harsh reality is that stealing has become pervasive in our culture. Uh, pretty much everybody is on the take in some way, shape, or form. And that's why I have a hard time believing the, the recent statistic I read that nearly 90% of Christians claim that they've never broken the Eighth Commandment. They've never stolen anything. Apparently, most Christians think they're okay when it comes to this command because they've never robbed a bank, they've never carjacked anyone, they've never kidnapped someone, they've never embezzled large sums of money from their company. But I think we're going to discover tonight that there's a lot more to stealing that meets the eye. And just like the other commandments that we've looked at already, this little command, you shall not steal, it is jam-packed with profound truth that needs to be explained. It needs to be elaborated on. That's what we're going to try to do tonight. And so I'm, I've just broken up tonight's message into two questions. Two questions, why we steal and how we steal, okay? Why we steal and how we steal. So let's look first of all at why we steal. And I want to point out to you four motives, four motives for stealing, uh, the first motive is laziness, laziness. And I'm just going to read some verses, and you can uh, try to keep up if you can. Um, Galatians chapter 4, verse 28. Galatians, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Paul says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must, what? Labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. And so the opposite of stealing is what? Working. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 say this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And to make it your ambition, Paul says, to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. In other words, people steal because they're in some kind of need. Well, how do you alleviate that need? Well, mind your own business, work hard, and you'll behave properly. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone is not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. I always mess with Jacob when he... Uh, assumes that if I ask him to do a chore around the house, that he's entitled to some kind of payment. He's like, hey, buddy, I need you to go do this, so 
like, how much are you going to pay me? I'm like, I'll let you eat tonight. How's that? You can have supper tonight. You can have breakfast tomorrow morning, right? That's your payment. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. You're earning your keep here. So be quiet and go out and do that. (laughs) Verse 11, for we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. All these verses point to the fact that thieves are, by nature, lazy. Thieves are lazy. I mean, you think about it. There's only three ways to get anything in life. What are they? Number one is to work for it. Number two is to have somebody give it to you as a gift. And the third way is what? To steal it. So God ordained work as the primary means to get stuff, to acquire things. And some people are just plain lazy, and they're unwilling to work, and so they they resort to the use of force or fraud to get what they want. And so the first motive for stealing is laziness, laziness. And so if you don't want to become a thief, learn to be a hard worker. Learn to be a hard worker. If you're a lazy person, you're going to have more a higher propensity to, to steal something. Number two motive for, for uh, stealing is, is selfishness. Selfishness. And we all know Philippians 2, 3, and 4, which Paul says this, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Can I just say that dude next to me in the changing room was not thinking about me as more important than himself. He wasn't looking out for my interests. He was looking out for his own interests. And so, not only are thieves lazy, thieves are selfish. They don't care about anyone but themselves. They're, they're completely inconsiderate of everyone else's interests but their own. They're totally conceited. Uh, they're consumed with getting what they want, even if it means taking advantage of someone else or causing them harm to get it. And so selfishness is a motive for stealing. So we've got laziness, selfishness, and then how about this, number three, covetousness. Covetousness. You remember the story in, in the book of Joshua where Achan stole the stuff that was under the band in Joshua chapter 7. God told them to, when they went in to conquer Jericho, to destroy everything and not take a single thing. It was all under the ban. It was all to be given as an offering of worship unto the Lord. And in Joshua chapter 7, we we see Achan's disobedience. Verse 21, it says, They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. That's uh, chapter 6, verse 21. Notice verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 21. When I saw among the spoil, here he's confessing, he was found out. Uh, Joshua, God has exposed him to Joshua and said, This is your man. This is why you lost at the Battle of Ai. It's this guy Achan who stole some stuff. And he says, Truly I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I. What? 
coveted them, and I took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. He was getting real specific at that point. He knew he he was caught. So he wasn't about to, you know, hide any longer. This is exactly where it is. It's, I buried it in, in my tent. Back to the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be, what? Content. But those who want to get rich... Fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5, again picks up the theme of contentment. Hebrews 13 5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And so the opposite of covetousness or coveting is to be what? To be content. And so thieves are lazy, thieves are selfish, but thieves are also greedy. They're greedy. They're not content with what God has given them and they crave what others have and they take it from them. A.W. Pink, in his book on the Ten Commandments, said this, The root from which theft proceeds is discontent with the portion that God has allotted, and there from a coveting of what He has withheld from us and bestowed upon others. In other words, we're not content with what God's provided us, and so we covet what other people have, and we take it. Well, there's a final motive that I want to share with you tonight, and that's faithlessness faithlessness. Notice in uh, Psalm 62, a couple more verses on, on stealing here. Psalm 62, verse 10. It says this, Do not trust in oppression and do not vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Don't, don't trust in stealing. Don't rely on on stealing, Proverbs chapter 6, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 30. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's hungry. So ultimately, what are you doing when you steal things? You're trying to satisfy yourself rather than trusting God to provide for you. So, so we're talking faithlessness. It's a lack of faith is what we're talking about here. Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. Two things I asked of you, do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. In other words, just give me enough to get by that I not be full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? In other words, if if I get too rich, the temptation there then is going to be, I'm going to forget you. I'm going to deny you. Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. So what is he asking for? I want to live by faith. I don't want to have everything I need uh, and and then some because then I might forget you. um, And I don't want to have not enough because then I'll be tempted to steal. Just give me what I need. I want to live day by day by faith. 
So the point is, thieves lack faith in God. They fail to trust God. They, 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 they take matters into their own hands to provide for themselves. And so stealing questions God's ability to adequately provide for, for His people. You're like, you know what, I really need that, and I don't know how else to get it but to steal it. Or, it just so happens it's April 15th today, why not talk about taxes, right? You, you, you talk, I mean, this is really timely, right? You think, well, you know what, the government really doesn't need this money as much as I do. And you begin to justify, right? Do I really need to send all of this to them? I can find this loophole here, this loophole here. And, 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 and you know, this is, this is a way that God, well, really? So, so you, you don't have enough faith to, to, to honor the government, whether you agree with the whole IRS system or not. You honor the government. You send them what, they, what, what you owe them, and you trust God to provide for you, right? One commentator said this about the Eighth Commandment. He said, every theft is a failure to trust in God's provision. Whenever we take something that doesn't belong to us, we deny that God has given us or is able to give us everything we truly need. Therefore, keeping the Eighth Commandment is a practical exercise of our faith in God's providence. In other words, if you have faith in God, I mean, you trust God to provide for your needs, you'll never be tempted to steal. Why would you have to steal? Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and what? All these things will be added unto you as well. And so, how do we avoid the temptation to steal? Well, it's simply the put off and the put on principle that we see in both Ephesians and Colossians. Um, what are we saying? If, 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 the, if the four motives for stealing are laziness, selfishness, covetousness, and faithlessness, well, what's the, what's the opposite of those things? If those are the things we need to put off, put off laziness, what, what, what do we need to put on? We need to work hard to get what we want. So work hard, number one. Number two, if, 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 if one of the motives is selfishness, then what's the put on? Uh, what do you need to do in its place is consider others above, above yourself. Treat other people as more important than yourself. Number three, if covetousness, covetousness or greediness is is, is, um, is a temptation uh, to steal, then be content with what you have. That's the put on. Be content. And then finally, if it's faithlessness, you're not trusting God, well then trust God. Trust God to provide what you need. So hopefully that's a positive way of looking at how to avoid the temptation of stealing, how not to give in to the temptation to steal. Um, work hard. Consider others more important than yourself. Be content and trust God. That's why we steal and uh, maybe how we can avoid stealing. But now let's go to the second part of tonight's message and talk about how we steal. How we steal. And I just made a, a grocery list, if you will, uh, of, of uh, the many forms of stealing. And I, and I came up with a list of 19 ways that we steal. You're like, oh man, this is going to be a late one. No, we're not going to take a whole lot of time. We're just going to, I'm going to make a statement and we're going to look up some verses and, uh, and talk about these things. But obviously there's just some, some obvious um, ways that we steal. Number one is shoplifting. 
shoplifting, right? We, that's one way that we we we, we tempted to steal. Um, recent uh, U.S. retail security survey estimates that shoplifting occurs. 330 to 440 million times a year at a loss of 10 to 13 billion dollars. Um, nationwide, that equates to over a million, million shoplifting incidents every day. A million people shoplifted today in the U.S., if these statistics are accurate, uh, at a loss rate of 19 to 25 thousand dollars stolen per minute. Now you know why that, you always see that dude when you walk into Ross that says, you know, he's kind of the guy standing at the door with that funky outfit with the big yellow letters, loss prevention. That dude's looking for shoplifters, right? He's trying to prevent nineteen dollars to $25,000 of stolen stuff to go out of, out of the store, right? And then when you factor in employee and vendor theft... They say the, sky, the, 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 the sum skyrockets to an estimated $33 billion that are stolen every year. So, so you've got shoplifting, but then number two, you've got stealing from your employer. And sadly, re- retailers lose more merchandise through employee theft than they do public theft. Did you know that? Retail stores are more concerned about being ripped off from the inside than they are from the outside. Approximately $140 billion Dollars of material and time are stolen from employers every year. And in the end, guess what? We all pay for it. We all pay for it. Why? Because at least a third of the cost of an item goes to cover the loss from theft. I mean, it's a sad day when when businesses are forced to build theft into the price of their products just so they can make some money. And, and the common rationale, I think, is if, if theft occurs against an impersonal institution or against rich people, it's okay. Maybe that's the way Democrats think about the tax system, right? Um, rob from the rich to, to pay the poor, right? Um, but it's, it's not that bad, right? We, we shouldn't feel it's, it's kind of Robin Hood, right? Stealing from the rich, giving to the poor, um, we assume that, hey, my company can afford this. Come on. This company is huge. They're not going to miss this. I'm not hurting anyone personally. We justify these things. Um, Titus chapter 2, verse 9, couldn't be any clearer. When it talks about how we should live as Christians in the world, Titus chapter 2, verse 9, talking about slaves... Um, i.e., we could apply that to employees. It says, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. What are some ways that employees pilfer from their employers? How about showing up for work late. How about leaving early? You ever think about that? Ripping off your, you're ripping off your boss. If he's paying you to work a certain number of hours and you, you're showing up late, you're not working up, you're not putting a full day's work, you're, you're stealing, you're stealing from your company. Doing things during business hours that are unrelated to your job, surfing the internet, sending personal emails, unless you have a private account course. 
I'm sorry, I'm just picking on people today, aren't I? <laughs> Getting all political. Making personal phone calls, helping yourself to company supplies without permission. Oh, they won't miss this ream of paper. I, I need some printer paper for my printer at home, right? I'll just grab this as I'm walking out of the office center. Pencils, pens, notebooks, tools, auto parts. If you work in an auto parts place, computer components, padding your expense account when traveling, calling in sick when you're not sick. These are all ways that you pilfer from your company. One man said this, in principle, all this petty stealing is no different from corporate fraud or insider dealings. We all know about the Enron scandal, right? Well, that was bad. Well, what this guy's saying is it's no different that if you're walking out with an extra box of paper clips for your home office that you don't have permission to take. The amount of time wasted or money stolen, either directly or indirectly, only makes the sin more or less notorious, not more or less sinful. In other words, we all know about Enron. That was a notorious right, situation, but what you're doing at your office isn't any less sinful. So we've got shoplifting, we've got stealing from your employer. How about this, number three, withholding wages and commissions. Withholding wages and commissions. This is maybe more for those that are in leadership, that you are in some kind of executive position, that you're responsible for people's pay and livelihood. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. In other words, if a guy works for you, you pay him before he leaves. Don't wait till the next day, right? You pay him right away. Deuteronomy chapter 24 says something very similar. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14, You shall not oppress a hired servant who is, who is poor and needy, whether he's one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in your land, in your towns. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and sets his heart on it, so that he will not cry out against you to the Lord, and it becomes sin in you. Of course, this, this is picked up in the book of James, James chapter 5, verse 4. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. So God hears the injustice. It, it comes before the throne when you, don't, when you don't pay those who you owe, withholding wages and commissions. Number four, failing to pay back debts. Failing to pay back debts, that's part of stealing. Um, Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 21. The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I'll give it when you have it with you. And then Romans 13, Romans 13 verse 7 says this, Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, 
custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law, for this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in the saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you truly love someone, you're not to you're not going to fail to pay back their debt. You're going to pay them what you owe if you truly love them. Number five, borrowing without returning. Borrowing without returning. This is maybe more not financially, but how many of you uh, have somebody else's stuff in your garage, your neighbor's ladder, your friend's punch bowl is in your closet that you forgot about or you never returned, you have books, you have movies, you have stuff that, that belong to other people that you have just not returned. How about number six, dishonest business dealings. Dishonest business dealings, obviously this is a, a form of stealing. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. Proverbs 11, verse 1 says this, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Chapter 20, verse 10, says it's pretty much the same thing. Differing weights and differing measures, both of them are abominable to the Lord. So it's an abomination when you're, when you're ripping people off. You're being dishonest uh, in the way that you're doing business. You're stealing. You're breaking the Eighth Commandment. How about this? False advertising. Saying something is better than it really is. That's stealing. You're, you're robbing. How about this? Overcharging for products and services. Price gouging is what we call it. You're stealing. You're robbing. How about plagiarism? Plagiarizing other people's ideas. You're stealing other people's thoughts, other people's work, other people's ideas. That applies to maybe some of the college students, right, that are try to crank out those papers by the deadlines, and sometimes it's just easier to find something online that somebody already wrote and copy and paste. In this day and age where it's so simple to do that, there's a lot more temptation, I think, uh, when all the information is online and, and you can just copy and paste it. It's, it's, it's very tempting not to do your own work. But that would be a plagiarism is breaking the, the Eighth Commandment. How about this, if you're still in school, cheating off someone else's paper. What are you doing? You're stealing their answers. Hopefully you don't do this, but I just thought I'd throw it in there. Buying one salad bar and feeding the whole family. <laughs> Paying for water and then pouring yourself a Coke. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody's guilty of that. It's just so easy, right? Uh, uh, what do you want to drink? I'll just have a water. So you take that water cup and you get over there and you say, you know, I really don't want water. I... I really feel like having a Coke and, or Dr. Pepper. And so you're like, you know what? Give me a break. It's one, you know, 32 ounces. It's not going to make a difference. They're, not, they're never going to miss it, right? And so we make these kind of excuses. Well, if you didn't pay for it, you're stealing it. How about this? Number 12, pirating cable or internet service. Now we're getting to meddling here, right? You move into a house and you discover that the cable was never turned off. You hook up your TV and it works. You're like, sweet, look at this, man. I got all these channels. It's not my fault. It's their mistake. It's not costing them anything. I just won't tell them. 
So you're getting free, right, service. Well, I think that's, you're stealing. You're not paying for it. How about this, withholding alimony or child support? You may have never thought of that in the realm of breaking a command. The Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal, you shall not steal. Well, if you have an obligation to pay your former spouse or pay some kind of child support and you're not doing it, you're breaking the Eighth Commandment. How about this one, hitting someone's car accidentally and not leaving a note offering to pay for the damages? You're like, oh, no way, man. I'm out of here. (laughs) Or you hope it's on this side and they won't notice for a few weeks because it's on the other side, right? So, no, that's, that's stealing. How about this, fudging on your income tax statement? We had to bring that one up, April 15th, right? Fudging on your income tax statement. You're breaking the Eighth Commandment. How about extorting or bribing money from others? And you know, we live in the day and age of these wacky lawsuits. You go through the drive-in at McDonald's, you pour hot coffee on your lap, and, oh, I'm going I'm to get some money out of McDonald's. They, they got enough to go around. I'll just sue them. It's crazy things like that. Just, just selfishly filing lawsuits against everybody just to get money. You're, 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 you're stealing. How about stealing someone's spouse? Stealing someone's spouse. We already talked about committing adultery last week, but how about this? Proverbs 23, I read this passage last week, verse, 20, verse 26. Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit, an adulterous woman is a narrow well. Surely she lurks as a robber and increases the faithless among men. There was something about stealing in there, but I didn't read it. Where is it? Oh, there it is. Surely she lurks as a robber. Thank you. I read read right over that. Surely she lurks as a robber and increases the faithless among men. How about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, talking about ripping people off, stealing, taking something that doesn't belong to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, talks about... Your sanctification, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, and not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. In other words, you're taking something, when you, when you have an inappropriate relationship with, with, with someone that's not your husband or your wife, uh, you're, you're stealing, you're robbing. How about this one? Copying or downloading copyrighted material without paying for it. This is the Napster syndrome, right? We all remember Napster. And uh, free music? Awesome. Let me go grab as much as I can, you know. Um, so, this, again, this is maybe more young people. You know, the way that the music sharing industry is, it's crazy. I mean, kids are constantly sharing music with each other and sharing their iPod lists with each other. And, well, bottom line, did you pay for that? If you didn't pay for that, then you stole from that musician, from that artist, from that band. 
Put yourself in his shoes. If you were the one writing these songs and singing these songs and that was your, your livelihood, wouldn't you want to get paid for what you did? That's stealing. And then lastly, but definitely not least, is simply robbing God. You're like, well, wait a minute. We're talking about everything so far is all about robbing each other, stealing from our fellow man. Well, we have to, I think, end talking about robbing God. Malachi chapter 3. This is the language that the prophet Malachi used with the people of Israel. Malachi chapter 3 verse 8. Listen, he says, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So they were withholding what was rightfully due God. They weren't bringing in the full tithe, the full offering. They were just giving them a a pittance, a small portion of what they were being blessed with. And God said, hey, I'll tell you why you're being cursed, why things are going bad for you and you don't have enough provision. It's because you're not being obedient. You're, You're ripping me off. And so by not tithing appropriately, the Israelites were refusing to give back to God some of what He'd given to them. And so consequently, they were failing to acknowledge that that everything that they had was really God's. And while God has granted us the right to private property, we said that, that's why He gave us the Eighth Commandment, we must never forget that everything that we have belongs to Him. Psalm 50, verse 12, For the world is mine and all it contains, God says. 1 Chronicles 29, 14, this is what David said when he was able to give this massive offering for the building of the temple. He said, for all things come from you, and from your hand we've given you. Not like, hey, this was, I whipped out my checkbook, and, I, and boy, God's proud of me now because I gave him so much of my money. No, you didn't give him your money. You gave him back his money. He's the real owner. We are just stewards. And what is the job of a steward? A steward is to care for someone else's property and manage it in a way that the owner wishes and use it in a way that pleases the owner. And when we fail to financially support God's work, we're guilty of poor stewardship and of withholding from God that which rightfully belongs to Him. I wonder how many people in the church, not necessarily Lakeside Bible Church, but the church of Jesus Christ, of all the people that show up to church on Sunday, how many of them break the Eighth Commandment every Sunday? Because they're robbing God. They're not tithing. They're not giving of what God has given them back to Him. Ultimately, by the way, let me say this. This is something that we've not done well enough, but it's something that we've tried to instill in our kids that when they do get paid for something, um, besides getting to eat, like we talked about earlier, um, hey, 
you need to get in the habit of tithing. You need to get in the habit of giving back to the Lord. We want to develop in them the, 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 this vision of being a steward. And when the kids were little, we had these three jars. And, 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 and the three jars were, were, were um, give, spend, and save. These three, three little jars, these three little names, give, spend, and save. And so sometimes we'd give them, and this is what we did, every Sunday morning we would give them three quarters and when they were little. And what were they supposed to do is take one of those quarters and put it, you know, put it in the spend jar, put another one in the save jar, and then take that third quarter and take it to church with them and put it in the offering box. So that give jar never got filled. <laughs> it was always empty. But it was just a simple way to teach the kids, hey, you've, you've got to do three things with your money. You've always got to be giving it to the Lord. You've got to be spending it to, for whatever your needs are, but then you've also be, got to be saving it. And uh, even now, we're trying to help our kids as they now they have jobs and say, hey, have you been faithfully giving back some of what the Lord has blessed you with? And um, ultimately, this, is, this goes beyond our money, how we use our money. This is how we use our lives. Um, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is a familiar passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? In other words, you don't belong to yourself, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. God bought us, He owns us, and we rob Him of the glory that is due Him when we don't honor Him and obey Him with our lives. We don't give Him thanks, we don't give Him honor, it says in Romans chapter 1. And so if we fail to, to submit to Him and serve Him and we choose instead to serve ourselves and, and do what we want with our lives, then we're guilty of the greatest heist of all time. If you're taking your life and saying it's mine and you can't have it, God, you are, are, are guilty of the greatest heist of all time. You are robbing God of what is rightfully His and it's you. You are rightfully God's. All of us are living on borrowed time, borrowed breath. We're even living in borrowed bodies. Our time, our talents, our treasures are all on loan to us from God. And He expects us to use them for His glory and honor rather than for our glory and honor. A.W. Pink said this, God is robbed when we withhold from Him the glory which is due Him and we are spiritual thieves when we claim to ourselves the honor and praise which belong to Him alone. Well, how'd you do tonight? <laughs> you may have come in here tonight thinking, okay, yeah, it's the Eighth Commandment, I'm good on this one. I really haven't messed up too bad on this one. Maybe you never considered yourself a thief. But I'm sure you have to admit that you're guilty of one or more of those motives for stealing. Uh, and some of the various forms of stealing that are inherent in the Eighth Commandment. Martin Luther said this, the great reformer, he said, if all thieves who nevertheless do not wish to be considered such were to be hanged to the gallows, the world would soon be desolate and would be without both executioners and gallows. He went on to imply this, that they, if, if you were to hang all the thieves in the world, you'd run out of rope. 
That's how pervasive the violation of the Eighth Commandment is. And this is a serious situation. You're there in 1 Corinthians 6, I hope, still. Notice verse 9. This is what led up to that verse about you not being your own. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor what? Thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor sinners will inherit the kingdom of God. You're like, whoa, are you saying if I've shoplifted or if I've stolen something, I've, I've not been honest on my, I've cheated on my income tax, that I'm going to hell? Is that what that's saying? Is that what Paul's teaching? No. He's simply saying if that is, if you're a habitual thief, in other words, if your life is characterized by stealing, that's evidence that you're not saved and you shouldn't expect to go to heaven when you die. You're on your way to hell if that's the characteristic pattern of your life. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus Christ died for sinful thieves like you and like me. And the very next verse says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Listen, we're all thieves. Every one of us. And that's just one of the many reasons why Jesus had to die. How ironic that He died between two thieves. One of them mocked Jesus and died and went to hell. The other cried out for mercy. He admitted that he deserved to die for his life of stealing. He acknowledged that Jesus was the king, that he said he was, and he embraced him as his Lord. And he said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. In other words, he was acknowledging that you're a king and you're going to have a kingdom and I want to be a part of that. And Jesus had mercy on him and said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Probably the most notorious thief in the Scripture, right? The thief on the cross. There was another notorious thief who was saved by repenting of his sin of thievery and placing his faith in, in Jesus Christ. He was a wee little man who climbed the tree. Who was he? Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19. Check this out, Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called, a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. How did he get rich? He was ripping people off. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You know they despised Zacchaeus. They hated the guts of tax collectors. Because not only were they traitors collecting taxes for Rome from their own people, but they were making a living off it. They were ripping people off. And so they hated Zacchaeus. 
because he was a thief. He was a crook. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. So here was this ruthless crook that everybody hated, couldn't understand why Jesus would want to go to have dinner with this guy, and somewhere between climbing down from that tree and going to his house, he says, Lord, uh, I'm, I'm going to give half my positions to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. It's almost like he just came under instant conviction that, man, I've been ripping people off a lot, and I need to make this right. He was in the presence of Christ's holiness and righteousness and was brought under instant conviction of his sin. And notice how Jesus responded here, verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. So was Jesus saying that Zacchaeus got saved because he gave money to the poor? Is that the way to get to heaven, is to, to be a philanthropist and, and, and give your money away? No. The thing that convinced Jesus, that Zacchaeus had gotten truly saved, was this selfish, greedy little thief became a sacrificial, generous giver. And he was transformed from being a taker to a giver through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The point is that Jesus Christ can transform you you as well. From being a selfish taker to a generous giver if you're willing to repent of your life of stealing and place your faith in Christ. And the genuineness of your repentance will be proven by your desire to make restitution. That's what he was doing here. It wasn't enough to say, oh, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus and would you come into my life and pray a prayer and sign the card and go home and say I'm a Christian now. No, he said, if, if this is true and, and my life is truly transformed through my relationship with Jesus Christ, then I've got to make some things right. There's some people I need to pay back. And the genuineness of your repentance will be proven by your desire to make restitution, that you want to pay back everything that you've stolen from others. You want to make it right. So let me give you a practical assignment. And, and you, can, you don't have to do this right now, but you can do it tonight or tomorrow, this week. Just take a few minutes and write down what you owe to other people. For some of you, that's a short list. Maybe not even any list. For others of you, that might be a real long list. But take a moment and write down what you owe to others. And then, add to that anything that you have in your possession that is not rightfully yours. Something that maybe you took from the shop, um, it's not really yours. Um, Maybe you borrowed from a neighbor, you want to get it back to you. I'm convicted, I've got some of my dad's tools in my garage, I've got to get back to you tomorrow, Dad. I'll bring them by tomorrow, okay? Yeah. But seriously, I mean, let's be practical here. What, what, what is this message? So what? Well, get serious about, hey, what do I owe people? Financially, practically. 
and then commit, pray over that list, and commit to repay those debts and return those things as soon as possible. I think it's a practical application of the Eighth Commandment. And make sure when you do that, you take the opportunity to explain to that person that you're making restitution, that you realize that what you did was wrong and and, and you want to make it right. Ask them to forgive you and give back to them whatever it is you stole or whatever you borrowed from them. I mean, this is a great opportunity to be a witness for Christ. I heard a story a number of years ago. A, a, a guy got saved later in life, and, and uh, he drove, was just driving to work one day, and he drove by the, by the um, uh, junkyard where years ago, as a wild teenager, he had stolen a door uh, off of a car there for his car. This was before he was saved, but God just brought him under conviction that, you know what, I stole from that place. I need to make restitution. Now that I'm a Christian, I need to make restitution. So he walked into this uh, junkyard and went up to the owner and said, hey, I'm so-and-so, you don't know me, but you know, 15 years ago, I, I stole a door off of this Toyota over here, uh, and I need to pay you back for that. He's like, what are you talking about? Forget about it. He said, no, I need to do this. How much do I owe you? And he pulled out his checkbook and wanted to write him a check. And the guy kept saying, no, no, don't worry about it. He said, no, sir, listen, I, I want to do this because it's going to honor the Lord. And, and what a great witness this was um, to this junkyard owner of, of this guy who has a transformed life and wanted to pay this guy back what he had stolen from him. So I would encourage you to do that. And uh, who knows how God's going to use that uh, in, in other people's lives to, to make an impact for the gospel. And, and as you do that, don't be like the guy who sent a $500 check to the IRS with a letter that said, here's the money I owe you, and if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. Don't be that guy. Let's pray. Father, we, we just are humbled and convicted tonight as we maybe have never considered the depth of the Eighth Commandment just all the myriad of ways that we are guilty of stealing that we don't even think about. And so we just stand before you guilty uh, as sinners. Lord, uh, we're caught red-handed, but we thank you for the red blood of Jesus Christ. And um, his blood can cover our sin. And we thank you for that example of Zacchaeus and how you saved this this crook of a man. And the evidence of his salvation was his desire to be generous and to make restitution and pay back what he owed. And I pray that we would honestly be able to say, standing before you, and and say that we owe no man anything. Lord, grant us the grace to, to get to that point in our life where we can say that. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here tonight who does have to pay back some things or give back some things and, and, and they're already feeling awkward about it and how embarrassed it's going to be to have to do what they need to do and say what they need to say. And Lord, I just ask that you grant them the grace to do that and they would, they would be willing to humble themselves and, 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 and pray that you will be glorified through this process. And Lord, if there's some here who, who maybe owe more people more money than they, than they are able to, to repay, Lord, that you would be 
gracious to them. Lord, bless them, uh, their desire to make restitution and that they would be able to have enough income to pay back what they owe. And um, Lord, that you would just uh, use this as a way for them to trust you uh, and depend upon you and uh, to just have hope that if that you'll bless them if you have the right heart, if they have the right heart to want to make things right and to make restitution, that you will bless that and provide for them so they can do that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.